think business owners especially, they think they've got all the time in the world to start thinking about wealth building and the justification for putting it on the back burner is we're playing the long game. And so what I witness is people pump really hard to make money in their businesses and then they allow it to stockpile or let it sit in really lazy assets and they don't do much around converting it into wealth. This is Superfast Business with James Schramko. James Helping you build your business super fast. James Schramko here. Welcome back to superfastbusiness.com. This is episode 878. Today we're going to be talking with Selena Kulkarni about the velocity of money. And I am definitely not giving financial advice. I want to get that out there nice and early. Welcome, Selena. Thanks, James. Great to be here. I'm just a host, facilitator. I know you're a wealth coach. I imagine you're not giving advice either, but this is just a general discussion that might be useful, you know, on the topic of wealth building that you can then, of course, go and seek your own financial advisor or whoever else you do. Something like that, right? Oh, look, I think if we kind of cut to the chase, I think the fundamentals of wealth building are universal and, you know, it's hard not to apply things like this. But yes, go and ask someone sensible before you take any crazy action. Now, this is not our first episode. We have already recorded an episode about the foundations. So I would recommend we go back and listen to that and we'll link to it in the show notes if you wanted to start off on this sort of topic. But this is an area that I'm personally interested in. I know that's tautology. I'm interested in this topic because that's, of course, part of the reason we get into business in the first place is we want to create a good life for ourselves. And I found life can be better with money and with other types of wealth. And for me, like, you start to get wealth from freedom. You start to get wealth when you get to do you know, things that satisfy your soul. You can be rich in family if you can spend time with them. And you can, of course, discover other things, whether it's cooking or whatever. One of my most exciting things that I'm doing at the moment is I'm getting software that allows me to 3D model surfboard shapes because I'm getting much closer to being able to produce my own brand. Oh. Uh, which I already own a brand and it's trademarked and we have a website and we've built prototypes, but I'm just going to that next stage now. So whatever that is for you, whatever wealth means, this episode is going to give you some solid foundations that you can go away and sort of think about or speak to whomever. Now, you've had a little bit of a shift since we spoke last time. You're getting really clear now on who you help and how you help them. And you've even got a new website. So I'm going to mention that here. It's called inkosiwealth.com. That's I-N-K-O-S-I wealth.com. What does Inkosi mean? That's actually a great starting point. So uh, Inkosi is the KPI inside of my world that's the key metric for measuring success. Obviously, there's others as well, but uh, it's kind of like our flagship, our North Star. And it's a reference to how much passive income you have accumulated as a percentage of your baseline goal. And, you know, one of the things I know about money is people can be a little bit touchy about sharing their numbers about you know, wanting to tell people what they're worth. And so Inkosi is the great equalizer. So whether your aspiration is, I want to build a, you know, an eight-figure passive income stream or you know, I want to build 100,000 in passive income, the Inkosi metric of describing you know, what percentage of your ultimate goal have you achieved means you can share that openly. So Inkosi is the Zulu word for tribal leader. And you articulated it really well just now, James, but I think that really the ultimate goal of wealth is really about impact, you know, it's influence. And unfortunately, I think too many of us are trapped in whatever work we do and we, we don't have the choice 
And so we don't kind of explore the dreams and aspirations and impacts that we want to have in the world. So yeah, that was a long-winded story about Nkosi, but yeah, Nkosi is simply the Zulu word for tribal leader. Well, I like how you've applied it in a wealth context. Interesting, you know, you say we don't have a choice or whatever, and that certainly would be the default setting for a lot of people. And one thing I love doing, we had a previous guest on this show, Lloyd, and we're talking about a story about where I actually showed him that he did have choices and he made some changes and came up with a great business. I think that's certainly true of wealth building. We have a lot more choice or control than we think. And I noticed in Australia, the big banks are shutting down their little kiddie banking program. And it's about bloody time. Because I remember when I went to cash out my kids' saver, when I was sort of in primary school, I think, and I'd been saving since infants, there was nothing left after they took all the fees out. Like literally nothing. I couldn't take a dollar out. I think they got onto that some time back. But now I think if you're just leaving your money sitting in a bank account, and getting the 0.001% or whatever, very, very low amount it is. You may be making a choice that you think is secure and conservative because that's probably what your grandparents, who the builder generation, were all about preservation because they went without butter you know, during the wartime and they would hang on to what they've got. But it turns out some of those old habits that we have might be actually really damaging us because there's a lot of other things we could do with our money But what I've learned, especially from speaking to you, Selena, is that most people aren't aware of what other things you can do. But before we get to that, because I do want to come back to the fact I want to have multiple episodes over this. Let's just start off with this topic of velocity of money, because I think this is a fundamental underpinning to the way that everything else happens after that. So when we talk about velocity of money, what does that actually mean? Uh, Where I'd like to start is maybe even just describing the problems that I witness. And I think that will dovetail nicely into what is velocity. I think business owners, especially, they think they've got all the time in the world to start thinking about wealth building. And the justification for putting it on the back burner is we're playing the long game. And so what I witness is people pump really hard to make money in their businesses, and then they allow it to stockpile or let it sit in really lazy assets. And um, they don't do much around converting it into wealth. And I think traditional wisdom tells us that we should squirrel and save our money in things like managed funds and shares and hand over decision-making to someone else. And we get sold this idea that compound interest is what's going to get us to the finish line and you know, leave it with me and I'll do the right thing. And the traditional playbook says, trust in investments that will deliver you what you need when the time comes. And I think the average Joe, business owner or otherwise, thinks that the model of getting to you know, the right wealth amount by 65 is, is okay. In the meantime, you know, the idea is buckle up and hope that the people managing it don't screw it up for you. And I think when I talk to business owners, what they're actually really worried about is that they have put their blind faith in investments And they've got this huge reliance on just their income stream from their business. But I guess why I love this concept of velocity of money, and it's something that I've spoken extensively about even inside, you know, with my clients, is that if you do have your eye on the ultimate prize, which is, you know, getting that autonomy that we just spoke about, that time, you can see that there are much more effective ways to fast track wealth building which will ultimately give you the freedom to, you know, spend time exactly as you want. And I think the thinking that I I believe in, and it sounds like you do as well, is a business is a mechanism for building wealth, but it's a vehicle for freedom. And I think sometimes we forget about that. 
So if we can bring some energy and cadence to our investing so that we're actually directing our wealth, then age becomes an irrelevant factor when we're talking about financial freedom. So, you know, we want to design our exit, step off whenever we choose or, you know, have the impact that we want. But effectively, velocity of money is about how quickly and effectively we can take $1 and put it to work, not just once, but over and over and over again. Yeah, that's really interesting. I mean, we're already talking about an enlightened group of if someone is a business owner, because even before that, uh, I mean, there's two stages before that that I can think of. One is the stage where people don't work at all and they're on benefits. And and there may be totally legitimate reasons why that's the case. On You know, the, in Australia at least, there's quite good government support for people who can't work. Um, there's even a fair bit of support for people who won't work. And their plan is it's got to be low impact, right? They're basically going to be getting handouts for as long as that gravy train lasts. And their plan is just to basically draw from society, from that social benefits. The next stage is people who are employees. And they probably really are into that sort of get a job, get paid, you know, go to school, get a good education, get a good job. Uh, be a doctor, lawyer, solicitor or whatever, or then, you know, some trade or blue-collar work, forklift driver, it's okay. And they're definitely in the sort of general society thing. And they most likely will not have enough or a surplus by the time they retire. If they've been in police force or something like that, they might get some industry payout that tops them up a little bit and and gets them a, a line above the pension. Of course, there's lots of other countries. People listen to this uh, show in, in countries where there is no retirement or superannuation. It's basically, the, the plan there is usually have a lot of kids and climb to the top of the scrap heap and you know, try and clam- clamber over, over others and, and try and get something and be supported later in life by family. And, and it's really fascinating to see a lot of the people who work really, really hard and, and achieve things quite often come from a, a poor background because they've sort of had something kick in and they have to activate. A lot of the billionaires, I know Frank Lowy, for example, um, several others, I've I've read Frank's book, Pushing the Limits. It was great. He had nothing. He came to Australia without even English. He had absolutely nothing. Came from um, concentration camps. So they tend to sort of overcompensate. Uh, I think even Warren Buffett talks about having a fairly uh, meagre background. So... Um, it's interesting to, to see that we have um, different layers. There's relying on the pension, uh, there's the have a job thing, and then there's the business owners. We've already activated some mode that says, hey, I wanna, I'm going to take on risk, I'm going to take on responsibility, I'm going to employ people, I'm going to pay payroll tax, superannuation, contractors' wages, I'm going to earn revenue and contribute back into society with wages and I'll be responsible for that. But then if there's just that one more step where they could say, well, aside from putting me to work and my team to work, why don't I put my money to work? Mm. And that's the part I've been really interested in lately because as you go from scramble to moderate success to, wow, there's actually a surplus, it's like what do I do with that without being foolish? And it would be fair to say that most people have not developed this wealth muscle very much. And some people are brilliant and have developed it extremely well. And it is possible 
even with a, a reason like an average income job to build quite a wealthy portfolio if you get into it early enough and you have the right information and you're into the right assets and just to sort of just just to put a little bow on the top of this point at the moment that we're recording this there's some crazy stuff going on in the world of crypto now maybe by the time this publishes there's a whole bubble burst maybe it's still going like crazy but you know it when all the internet marketers are onto it and then beyond that uh regular normal people who you would who never knew anything about this are telling me about it now so i'm super concerned that it's become a fad like even i heard a story of a surfboard shaper who put in a hundred grand and it's now worth one point something in the last couple of months and when he's sharing it with his customers i'm just thinking okay this this is this you have to put to the side perhaps as a little bit of a a moment in time so it's pretty hard to know where to get good education and what what to do but let's just keep going down on this on this topic of timing i think we've established a case that we should get into it as early as practical uh and and tell me about the ninth wonder of the world because that probably comes into play at some point oh yeah look absolutely but i I, there was so much gold and different threads in what you just said james i just want to tell you a quick story a warren buffett story which i think supports everything you said You know, not many people realise that Warren Buffett, who's currently worth about 84 point something billion, most of that, 81 billion out of that 84 billion, he only made after his 65th birthday. So if you were to take his returns over the last however many years he's been investing, he's averaged about 22% per annum. So no question, he's a good investor. But what's really interesting is that most of that happened because of the time so he's a good investor, but you know, if you break it down, his secret is time. He started investing when he was 10 and he didn't retire. So uh, yeah, there's, there's a great story in that, I think. He's also got a Charlie Munger. Oh, he does have a Charlie Munger, yes, absolutely. You know, I, that's what I see your role for the people you're helping. You're like their Charlie Munger. You're the one that looks at all the staff. As <laughs> a, you've got your mental models, you've got your contacts, which is a huge part of what you do. It's like Peter Drucker taught me about business. It's about doing the right things. If you're going to do wealth stuff, you need to have the right contacts and you need to know what are the super wealthy people doing that you never hear about down in your local coffee shop or from your Uber driver. It's just a quantum leap away. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, some of them sounds probably even boring when you discover it, but it's just not generally discussed. Absolutely. I mean, for me, relationship capital is the new goal. So, yeah, absolutely. But uh, circling back, look, you know, there's that running joke that Einstein talks about, you know, compound interest as the eighth wonder of the world. I genuinely believe that, you know, things like the velocity of money is, if that's true, then velocity of money is the ninth wonder of the world. And, you know, if I talk a little bit about how this, how you see it in everyday life, I think intuitively when people think about the velocity of money, people sort of understand it as a concept. But the problem that I see is there's a disconnect between the actions that you take and and how you think about it. So it's our biases that either swing us towards or away from specific investments. And you just mentioned crypto. Sometimes people are led by, you know, I think I can get a certain return and they're not thinking about philosophy. Total greed. Yeah. Absolute greed gland. And it's also very hard to say, well, how could a picture of an ape be worth so much? 
it might very well pan out to be amazing, especially for artists. We hear Gary Vee talk about it, so that gives it some credibility, where artists will be selling things with royalties. And I accept that that's more than likely. I've even loaded some up to sell because I think it's interesting. But I've seen some people go crazy. Like I know someone who's put every last cent they have into this hype mania and they don't understand any of the fundamentals whatsoever. So it's an absolute, like it's right up there with uh, placing a bet on a horse race as far as I'm concerned for that person. Absolutely. And, you know, I think we talked about this in our last episode. The number one rule of investing is don't invest in something you don't understand. Well, that's Buffett saying, isn't it, around these this type of investment class? Warren's uh, saying is not rule number one, don't lose the capital. Rule number two. Don't lose any money. Rule number two. <laughs> See rule number one. Yeah, so rule number one. That's that's his saying. Yes. Well, they also asked him about things like this hypey uh, stuff and he's like, I don't understand yeah. it. He didn't really invest in it. But then there are people like, uh, I think, Jerry Harvey. He's a retailer in Australia. He was kind of poo-pooing the idea of online retail for a while there. Yep. Then he had to come to the party. So it could be a case where it really takes off and you get in early enough. But I think you can be too early. Like in the original dot-com mania, it went too fast, too hot, and then it crumbled and then it rebuilt. So that's probably what we're going to see with things like that. And we've already seen it with some of the coins, of course jump up and jump down. They're very erratic. Absolutely. Look, I think when we're talking velocity of money, I think it's a reference. It's simply a reference to how many times a single dollar changes hands. But there's actually a couple of ways that you can measure it. And what we need to understand essentially is that uh, if you're in an economy, for example, where there's high velocity of money, the perception is that it's a very healthy economy because what we read from it is if people feel good, then they're spending money. And if you think about all the stimulus that's flowed into the economy over the last 12 months, the driving purpose behind all of that is to make us feel good so that we actually spend the money. But when we're talking about velocity in business and then velocity in investing, it's easy to understand when you think about a shop that sells widgets, the goal of the shop isn't to buy the widget. The goal of the shop is to buy the widget and sell it and restock the shelves over and over again. And that process of turnover is what we call velocity. And so the business owner knows they're not in the business of accumulating goods. They know that they're in the business of creating velocity. But, you know, unfortunately, and I don't want to generalize here, but the typical baby boomer was taught to squirrel and save and pay off debt and invest for the long haul. And they were probably pretty sound principles after, you know, the poverty of whatever it was. Well, it was the builder generation before them that, that would have imprinted them. Totally. I spent a lot of time with my grandparents and they went through war. And probably only in the last year or so where we've had a pandemic sweep the entire world have we got to another scenario that could be even remotely similar to war. It's a war on a virus instead of a war on another country. But you know, some people do think it's actually a war about country or even governments versus populations. Like whatever's going on, You'd have to think, imagine that, but on a pretty grand scale in a time without some of the resources. But they did it tough. And I think they really valued when they could hang on to something and have it, they would value that. And so they had old school doctrines. But this is pre-internet as well. I think the internet changed a lot because the internet allowed anyone to have a business and succeed quickly without having to go to university or work their way up through an apprenticeship. It sort of happened to me. I was able to jump across from a regular job into an online business, transporting all my skills. Peter Drucker talked about the age of the knowledge worker way back in the 60s, and it finally panned out in the late 90s, early 2000s. 
and here we are. And I think what you're saying is, and I certainly read this in the economy, there's going to be a lot of changes with things like inflation. And some of the vehicles where we used to park our money will get left behind. Absolutely. I I think that's a good segue. I think financial institutions in particular, I think they teach us one thing, but they practice another. So they tell us, accumulate your money on our shelves, like stack your goods on our shelves, but don't touch the money. That's so true. I, I know of an investment bank have high profile clients and they pay a guy to do Forex trading for them. And he makes them like an 80% return month on month with Forex. And they pay out their clients like 15% and they pocket the rest. <laughs> and they're paying their regular savings account clients like 1%. That's why I think things like DeFi are super disruptive. And I, as soon as people can deal with each other directly and not involve a bank, which you can do now on the blockchain, it's like the crosshairs are out. It's, it's just a matter of time now. And as much as governments want to try and regulate it or whatever, it only seems to drive the value of it up the more they try and suppress it because people realize, well, hang on a minute, it's actually another option. All we need is our little MetaMask and some Ethereum or something, and we can start moving money between each other without having to involve a super big organization. But I guess it's a matter of where do we want to put that money that's better than sitting in a savings account? How can we put that dollar? Let's do a practical example of velocity. If I give you a dollar, what do you do with that dollar? Well, I think um, just to kind of round out that point that you're talking about is that, you know, banks rely on us to believe our money's there and we can withdraw it of any time. But I think we need to start thinking, you know, more like banks because the bank's returns aren't based on the percentage they charge us. That's what we think. The banks make money by working out how many times they can take the same dollar and lend it to as many people as possible. So that's their version of velocity of money, even though they're telling us to, you know, stack our money on their shelves. So if we're going to think like a bank and, you know, think about, well, what are our other opportunities? What we're really trying to work out is how do we create movement and gain multiple uses of our money? So if we were to go to an example and how about I make it really practical? It's like, imagine you have $100,000. I think that's just a nice round number. Now you could take that 100,000 and you could go and stick it into the bank and just get simple compound interest at 5%. And you know what I have worked out is that if you took that 100,000 now in 5 years it would be say 137,000. So that's pretty good. Like that's the lowest level of velocity. It's a little bit of velocity. So let's add a bit more velocity. Let's say you took that 100,000 and put it into an asset which could actually compound. So you went to the bank and you said, lend me more money and I'm going to go and buy, say, for example, a house. Now, you could go out and, you know, theoretically control a house of, say, half a million dollars. And in five years, that larger asset has compounded with that extra velocity. And it's now worth, let's say, 638, something like that over five years. And then you've made, you go, oh, well, I've made 138,000 now. But let's add even more velocity. Let's say at the end of each year, you took whatever money you'd make and put it into a cash flowing asset at 5%. You do the same thing. You you take that money, you go and buy the house. And then each year, you, for some reason, the banks will say, oh, I'll let you take that off the table and put it into a 5% yielding bank account. At the end of five years, you'd have 785,000. So you've made 175. And then the final, which, you know, these are all in a perfect world. If you took that 100,000 
bought not only one leveraged asset, but at the end of every year used your gain to buy another leveraged asset, then you'd end up with 1.245 over five years. So, you know, all I'm trying to say here to people is you've got to start thinking in terms of, you know, obviously the banks aren't going to let you pull that money off the table every year because they're just not that way inclined. There's a lot of learnings in just getting your head around the simple math. So simple interest in this 100K example gave you 28,000 all the way through to, you know, if you added a little bit of velocity, you 5X'd the result. If you added more velocity by compounding into, you know, simple cash flowing assets, you made 6.3 times. And if you added more velocity by using further leverage, you nearly 10X it. So does velocity of money simply mean reinvesting? It's about turning over the same dollar. So if you put a dollar in, how do you get it back out and then put it into something else? (laughs) I did that last year with Bitcoin over and over again, and I got slugged with capital gains tax. (laughs) I know. Well, there's that. And that's what I'm saying. We're not talking about in the perfect world. Unfortunately, there's, you know, the wrangling that goes with the banks, which is why things like DeFi are a very exciting proposition. But I think there's some key learnings that people can take away and apply. and, Mm -hmm. And that is that the velocity of your money is what will determine the size of your wealth. So it's like a boulder rolling down the hill. You know, it starts out slow, but once momentum gets going, you can actually start compounding it at an amazing pace. And that's why um, Bill Gates, you know, there's a joke that he can't even give his money away fast enough. It just grows too fast. You know, a, a second lesson here is, you know, the more you leverage, the faster you will be able to re-employ your money, the faster you'll be able to build your wealth. So That's just a no-brainer. But leverage is really just compound interest using somebody else's money. And that's not to say you should always leverage it. I mean, this is just a principle of wealth building. But to be an investor, you need to receive money and invest it forward. And, you know, once you're playing with the house money, there's nothing to lose. And professional gamblers know this, and, and I'm not advocating gambling at all. But once they're playing with house money, and they've still got their money back in their pocket, that's how they get creative. Professional investors who get their money back and then use the cash flow from their investments to make further investments, they understand the same thing. So when you're building and playing with cash to build wealth, you reduce the risk to your own money. And so then if you make a bad investment, you can weather it and it's all okay. OPM, hey, other people's money. Other people's money, but you can't get it straight away. It's exactly my strategy. In Sydney, there used to be RSL clubs, but especially the big club that has poker machines and cheap roast dinners. And I used to go there when I was a kid, 18 years old, and play snooker on the big tables because there weren't many people there and it had cheap alcohol. <laughs> anyway, sometimes I'd put like $5 or $10 into the poker machine. But if I got a payout, I'd always take my initial capital back out, put it in my pocket and only play with the winnings. And I still do that now, even last year when I bought and sold the Bitcoin several times. As soon as I made a profit, I took my seed money out and then everything after that was just speculative and I could afford to lose 100% of it and I was no worse off. And it follows Warren Buffett's rule, I suppose. Same last year, I was trading US stocks and I doubled my money fairly quickly and I took my original capital out and then just played with the profits. And so I wasn't staying up at night worried about my trade or whatever. I was basically, whatever happens, happens now. I've set my limits. I've set my strategy. And I followed my own system and it wouldn't matter if the whole thing melted to the ground because I didn't lose more than my initial capital after I got past that first phase. So it's a good strategy. What you're talking about the snowball is exactly what I teach you about memberships. 
They're a bit of a hassle to set up. Got to find your offer and get it all lined up. And once you get an offer that converts and you then work on retention, keeping customers, then it grows and grows. And I'm happy to report with Superfast Business Membership, I just looked at last month's figures. So even at now, at this late stage, since keeping in mind I started this membership in around 2009, still having its best months because of that magic of getting in early and continuing to work it. So the big idea from this episode is that you'll want to start building your wealth muscle early. You want to get that money working for you just like a bank would and put it out to work. Don't let it sit around, be lazy. Selena, if someone wants to get in touch with you, how do we do that? Uh, probably the easiest is just via email. So Selena, S-A-L-E-N-A, at com. Love it. We'll put all your details here in episode 878, superfastbusiness.com. We will transcribe it. If you've got a question for Selena, I'm inviting her back for more episodes. So just email me a question or email Selena a question and we'll make sure we cover it on a future episode. It's a final reminder, I'm not giving wealth advice. I'm, the things I'm talking about are really just my own styles and interactions and I'm just facilitating a conversation here with Selena and we're just talking in general concepts. But hopefully we've given you an incentive to take an interest in your own wealth building and we look forward to catching up with you in a future episode. Discover how to build your business super fast. Check out superfastbusiness.com. Thank you.